All right, gentlemen, here we go. Fourth Sunday of Lent. We are almost done. Wow. This has been a marathon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's literally 40 days of your life. 40 days yeah, you'll I never get back. I don't even remember what I gave up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, Does at this it even point, really I'm, matter? Yeah, at this point, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> well, it's the home stretch. We got a couple more weeks left before Easter. And yeah, so let's just dump, jump right in. So we're doing the fourth Sunday of Lent. Yesterday was the first set of scrutinies, and so if you were at Mass and had a different set of readings, then you will probably also have a different set of readings this upcoming Sunday. <laughs> and we don't really apologize, but yeah. sorry, I guess. I'm going to wash my hands of this yeah. one. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. To do with it. <laughs> um, yeah, so this upcoming Sunday uh, is going to be, if we're in year C, we have the readings that we're going to talk about today, which is the reading from Joshua, and then the Gospel, which is a very familiar Gospel to all of us, which is the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. If you're going to have a scrutiny mass uh, this upcoming Sunday at your parish, it'll be a reading about blindness with uh, the, the pool at Siloam, which is a really powerful reading as well from John's gospel. Um, but we're not going to talk about it. So I'm just going to jump in and give you guys some of my insights. Is that cool? Great. As I read this, um, I had one principal thought that stayed with me. You know, following from last week where we talked about the fig tree bearing good fruit or not, and then you have the burning bush that is not consumed um, and God wanting to till the soil and laboring for us. You know, so if God is laboring for the Israelites, well, we're in the book of Joshua now. So Exodus has happened. And there's that beautiful hymn in Exodus chapter 15, I think it is, where Miriam sings the song of God's victory um, after they have escaped from Egypt. And I continued with that theme of God being victorious and in thinking about this reading from Joshua, so we're already in the promised land. They have now been settled in the promised land. And in this reading, they start to till the soil and they start to reap a harvest and they cease receiving manna. And there's just something really beautiful. I don't think I've ever read this story before, but there's something really cool in this detail that God who has tilled the soil and provided for them in the fight against the Egyptians now has brought them and fulfilled his his promise and brought them to the promised land. And that promise continues to bear new life and fruit uh, through, you know, through cycles of, of agriculture. And the reason that's really great for me to look at is because I think it relates to what St. Paul says to the letter of Corinthians is that whoever is in Christ is a new creation. There's something about newness and being in a new creation that stuck out to me in all the readings. God has done wonderful things for the Israelites and they are in a new home with a new life source in the promised land. In Christ, we are a new creation so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then you turn to the gospel, and it's this beautiful account that we all know of the prodigal son. And I tried to think about it in terms of newness. And, you know, the last set of lines when the father is talking to the older son, he says, okay, set aside all the things that have happened in the past with your brother. And he says, he uses the word now, he says, but now we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has now come to life. So regardless of the past is in the past, now we celebrate, now we rejoice because God has done something new in your brother's life. I don't know. So it just, it hits home again, I guess, that theme of newness. And so if I think about this in terms of Lent, you know, we are in the home stretch and I, and I don't often remember what I've given up by now. And so... What is God inviting me for newness in my life? That's another sort of invitation to think about. 
But also, you know, your brother who was dead has come to life. This is a foreshadowing of the resurrection. So God is doing something new in Jesus for me. I think that there's a tendency to be a little too creative with the prodigal son. Be like, this is our our uh, cutting edge interpretation of the prodigal son. Right, and right. I think part of that is because it does capture our affection so much. And it does capture just like, it's it rings true. The story always has something to say. But really like, in all simplicity, it is a son who's betrayed his family, who has served only himself, and then comes back after this sort of purging of his sins to his father, who makes him new. He clothes him. He puts a ring on his finger. He throws yeah. a party. Yeah. You know, so I think there's there's a lot of great imagery f- for you there where you could carry that, uh, that it doesn't have to be this like, cutting edge message because we all still need to hear the message that I am at times going to need God's mercy uh, to clothe me, put a ring on my finger, celebrate a big party. Like I need that. Mm-hmm. And that's what, what God, or that's what the father in this mm-hmm. passage is offering to the son. Mm-hmm. New life, brand new life mm-hmm. for him. I'm going to throw this out there. If I were preaching on this, I would be very tempted to have this reading from 2 Corinthians as my primary text. Oh, really? And then the prodigal son as kind of a footnote, as an example of why this message of reconciliation is so, how it works. Like, this is... Tease um, that out for us. So, St. Paul writes, whoever, in Christ is, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Okay, great. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. So this is achievable. We can do this because Mm. it's been given to God, this idea of reconciliation. And I think this would be a wonderful time to talk about the sacrament, how crucial that is in our life, especially speaking of Lent, right? As the time of recognizing our brokenness and wanting to come before God as a new creation. That happens at baptism, which is one of the primary functions of the Easter vigil, to baptize new people, to bring them quite literally into this new life. But the rest of us also share in that through the sacrament of reconciliation, particularly. Again, looking at this reading, you know, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Uh, Like this plea, please, please, please be reconciled. Seek forgiveness. Acknowledge who you are, like the prodigal son. Mm Mm-hmm and seek forgiveness. That's kind of where I'm where I'm leaning right now. I, yeah, I like that too, because it, it changes. So I just, right before we started recording this, I just went to confession. Um, and I hadn't been to confession in a couple of weeks. Uh, and I thought, you know, I, I'm due uh, for this. And as you're talking about this, uh, the way you're the way that you're connecting the sacrament of reconciliation to this upcoming week's readings, I never really think about being recreated in that moment of reconciliation i think of sort of like justice like there's like i've been equalized you know i've sort of made up for my deficiency but there's something more there like there's something abounding like god wants to elevate me beyond where i was before i walked in here um i often think about in terms of like you know leveling the scales but maybe there's a generosity in the sacrament that and maybe it gets louis to what you were saying about the father in the gospel 
it's not just like, all right, son, you're back. You know, go to your old room. It's still there, you know? <laughs> it's, it goes beyond that, Which right? Which is what my parents have done when I left for the Jesuit. <laughs> they kept your room as it was. There. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it goes beyond that. It's It's a new creation. It's, you know, here's a purple robe and here's some rings for you to wear because you are something more than what you were before. Yeah, the father doesn't sit there and take account of all the things, all the money that the son has lost or how how long he was away or anything like that. He just welcomes him. And that's what God, God does every time we go to confession. Mm-hmm. You know, we we are the one that, that make that list. Hmm. Uh, and God says, okay, I forgive you. but what if i had this one (laughs) okay (laughs) i still forgive you (laughs) the introduction for this gospel is that the scribes and the pharisees begin to complain against jesus because he welcomes sinners and eats with them that this whole story is a response of jesus explaining why he welcomes sinners and eats with them and it's because of this love of God. And, and it's a powerful statement because what father would not welcome his son back into his home? Hmm. You know, uh, at, in the most ideal sense, this father would welcome his son back hmm. into his home. But it's even more than just welcoming back. It's almost like creating a king out mm-hmm. of him. He's yeah. giving him more than he ever had. It's not just... I mean, yeah, just to like push that it's it's not just a welcoming, it's like a wasteful party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like get the most prized animal, slaughter it so we can have a party. Yeah. Get yeah. the most prized vestment, the ring, everything. I was just gonna say, you know, one of my most favorite quotes from Pope Benedict is in Caritas and Veritate when he talks about the difference between justice and charity. That justice is giving somebody what belongs to them, but charity is taking it a step further and giving to somebody what belongs to me. And I kind of see that being played out here, that not only is the son restored to his sonship, um, he's welcomed back in, but then the father takes it a step further, to, to your point, Louis, that he's being like irresponsible and giving everything to the son. Like now he's just giving for the sake of giving. And that's, yeah, that's that Christian charity. But you also see that play out with the older son, because the older son is corrected by the father when he says, everything that's mine is already yours. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so he's already done that, given given everything of himself to his son. So, okay, so I have two points that are unrelated, but kind of tangentially. So remember last week we were talking about how it is difficult for us to see God working in other people's lives. Um, or, or just not that exactly, but like how sometimes it's easier to say like, well, God works with me, but notice God gives everything to both sons. How is that's paradoxical? How is he able to give everything to one son and give everything to another son? That there's something fascinating there that God is that rich. Like he's able to give everything twice over, you know, to two people who are not at there themselves are not reconciled with each other, but God is still loving them in abundance each i think that the older son is very similar to the pharisees i think that's why this has to be set in that context Hmm. because they're saying we've followed the law we've done what's been expected of us we know what god wants for us and yet here you are welcoming all these other people 
-hmm. Like, how does that make any sense? Right. And in fact, Jesus is most critical of them, yeah. even though they're these adherers to the rules and is extending himself beyond what anybody would expect to those people who have broken all the rules. And it, it points out the, not just this lavish forgiveness of God, but also where Jesus's focus is that it's, it's about this authentic conversion. And so I think for those of us like myself, who are cradle Catholics and think that we've understood it, you know, for our whole lives, like I am definitely those scribes and Pharisees standing off to the side saying, where are all these other people coming from? (laughs) (laughs) Why do they, why does he get to eat with them? Why does he get to be surrounded by them? So it's a radical vision of not just not just God's forgiveness, but also a vision of the church, that the church itself is not supposed to be this institution that says, wait, 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 like, let's make sure we check his credentials before he comes in. But it's really supposed to be this radically welcoming place for sinners. Mm -hmm. Jesus's table is for sinners. It's not for the people who think that they're following all the rules. Right. And it's a new creation. It's a new place See, God is doing something new in Christ, right? Is welcoming sinners where the Pharisees who represent the old law, not the new law, you know, were very quick to judge and quick to point out how people are secluded. Um, there's just something really beautiful there. Jesus in the new law, he dines with sinners. That's the new law um, rather than exclusion. Um, maybe one one other small little point. I'm curious what you guys think about this. Uh, so... What I'm curious, this gospel, I've never thought about this before, but it also tells us a little bit about the nature of sin, of what, what does it mean to sin. And the reason I say that is because notice that the people Jesus is eating with are sinners. We know that. And we can probably compare them to the prodigal son, the one that goes away from home. But what's interesting is that like to be a sinner in this story, at least with the prodigal son, we could say to sin is to squander your inheritance. Mm-hmm. that's what it means to sin. It's to squander your inheritance. And I'm just curious, what do you guys think about that? I've never really stopped to think, what are the implications of thinking of sin that way? Well, I think it's why we always pair the Old Testament with the New. Like we're looking at who we are as God's chosen people and how we've not lived that out. You know, Jesus came to redeem. Well, why? Because we had squandered our inheritance <laughs> being created in the image and likeness of God. I think it's, I mean, you could pair it with the parable of the talents. We have been given so much by God and expected to bring even more back. Yeah. And instead, I choose to bury that treasure in the ground. And it's not talents like, look at me balance this on my nose. (laughs) (laughs) It's wealth, yeah. It's wealth. It's treasure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And God has given us a treasure of his grace. And I think in God's image, uh, we're expected to extend that to other people mm-hmm. and bring them in as well. And not just squander squander it or, right. or bury it. Yeah. Or just use it for myself. Mm-hmm. Notice that the son uses his wealth for his own purposes. And that's why he loses it is because he's only spending it on himself. He never does anything else with it. Hmm. Good, good, good. So let's tie this all together uh, and put a maybe a punctuation mark on it. We started by talking a little bit about God's victory, you know, tilling the soil from last week and then bringing the Israelites to the promised land, you know, fulfilling his promises. But then, Jonathan, you talked a lot about reconciliation. 
Um, how can you guys maybe just put a final point on this? Could you tie it all together some way? Louis, is there anything on, on your mind? So there's that famous painting, the Rembrandt painting of the prodigal son. And there's a lot of commentary on that as like a beautiful witness to what the story is really all about. And I have actually seen this painting in person in the Hermitage in St. Petersburg. And in it's, Russia? It's, yeah, in Russia. It's this wow. huge painting on the wall in uh, the Hermitage. And as I was walking by it, it's like between these rooms, these gallery rooms, it's just on a wall. And all these people are just passing by it to go to the next room. So they're going from one room to the next, just walking right by it. Wow. And I turned the corner and here's this amazing piece of art. And I was just like crushed by it. It was, uh, I had never responded to art in such a way like that. And I think that part of it was because I had heard so much about this piece of art. And another part was because how do you have an appropriate response to that kind of love? I think for me, as I'm thinking about my Lent, I've recognized my sinfulness. I've gone to confession. I've, I've fasted. I've atoned. I've done all these things. And I still don't deserve that love, but God's going to give it to me anyway. Yeah. And so how do I, how do I even work up the courage to just say thank you? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like I feel, I feel silent in the, in the face of that kind of love. I think you're right, Louis. We're trying to figure out how to receive that love that's already been given, that's poured out upon us every single day, most of the time when we don't even realize it. So how are, how are we growing and cultivating our lives to be receptive to that? Day by day, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Day by day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but certainly, Jonathan, day by day, is that's, that's the cross of the older son, is the day by mm -hmm. day. And yeah. not growing stale in, under, in right. expressing gratitude to the Father. Right. Very good. Well, thanks, guys. This is great. Uh, we'll talk next week. All right. Yes. All right, guys. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye.